At this time, Art Williams will come with the split sermon, a the beginning and a new beginning. Art. God has a plan, and our song that we just sang is certainly apropos, glory be to God for his plan. His plan is to create his spiritual family, and how this is accomplished is outlined with varying detail in his word, the Bible. It begins with physical creation and continues with spiritual creation. Frequently, people talk about this transition and the perilous times described in the scriptures. We hear people talk about the end times, which isn't a big biblical term. That's not found in the scriptures. The scriptures refer to it as the last days. And one of the interesting things, when we find ourselves being greatly, with great anxiety, over perhaps seeing things that are happening, is to look at one of the scriptures, and I'm not going to turn to it, but it's in Matthew 8, and we all know it. And it says, the beginning of sorrows. If you look that word sorrows up in Strong's, you'll see that it means birth pains. So instead of really saying, oh boy, you better be watching out for this, because you're going to really get it socked to you, he's talking about, the birth of the kingdom of God. So it's a bit of a different uh, spin on that. But both terms, the end time and the last day, refer to a finishing, the end or the last. And followed by the finishing is a new beginning. Or perhaps another way to say that is that there is only one beginning, and since there is no end to the kingdom of God, there is no new beginning. But as we go through the scriptures, we'll find there is a first Adam and a second Adam. And there is a first tree of life, and there is a second tree of life. So hence the title, The Beginning and a New Beginning. And most of us understand that when it's referring to the last days, it's referring to the transitional time when we go from man's reign on earth to God's reign on earth, wherein he has direct intervention to establish his spiritual kingdom here on earth. And then the earth will be populated by former human beings that are now spirit beings. In my message today, I simply want to review and bring to recollection some of the milestones in God's plan. Because we even though most of us probably know these scriptures like the back of our hands, it's worthwhile to review these and be sure that we do not forget them. Because in the Old Testament, God began with Adam and Eve. In the garden, he placed them in the garden. And the garden had many trees, but two of them were very significant. One is the tree of life, and the other one was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
And you can find this story. I'm going to reference it and not turn to it in Genesis 2.9. And Adam and Eve were instructed not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they could eat of every other tree in the garden. And of course, we know that they did eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam, he fits right in with us human beings, you know. Plausible deniability. The woman made me do it. Actually, he didn't say that. Actually, what he, he was a little more in your face. He said, the woman you gave me, God. See, it's not my fault. And you refer to that in uh, Genesis 3.12. So God drove man from the garden. And in Genesis 3.22, we find out why God drove man from the garden. And it gives us a little insight. Why? And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So man, at the very beginning, could have gone over to the tree of life, picked that fruit, and had eternal life at day one. Thank you, Adam, for what you did for us. So we know that man had the opportunity for eternal life right at the beginning. But God has a backup plan, obviously, and he, he knew in the beginning that when Satan went in to test Adam and Eve, probably what was going to happen. And, and who knows how that even actually happened, but maybe, maybe she had a big dinner. He's out working in the garden all day, and uh, the end of the day comes, and Adam comes back in. She says, look at the great dinner I've provided for you, Adam. He eats it. Here's, and then she says, here's some fruit for dessert, you know. But the next significant player in the continuing plan of God was Abraham. And we can find the account in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is so significant right here. All the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Your name will be great. I will make you a great nation. Continuing in Genesis 22, 17 and 18. Blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And if you go back and read the details that I'm leaving out, you find out that Abraham had some lack of faith with his wife Sarah. And they did some things that uh, caused some consternation in there. And some of that relies, well, still resides with us today. Um, and you can read that on your own account. But my point I want to make is the righteousness or the 
lack of righteousness or the lack of faith does not necessarily identify God's plan and who is he working through and what he is accomplishing. Because from Abraham, it goes on to Isaac and in Genesis 25.5. I'm in the New King James and a lot of this. Um, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac and continuing in verse 11, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And continuing then in Genesis 28, 1 and verses 3, 3 and 4, Isaac passes the blessing on to Jacob. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you were a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So here we see Abraham's blessing passing on to Jacob. And continuing with this evaluation or this, the, the passing down of the blessing from Abraham, we'll go to Genesis thirty-two twenty-eight. Genesis twenty-two thirty-eight, And he said, and this is, God speaking to Abraham, thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men, and has prevailed. This is the, the, the conclusion of one uh, God uh, was wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob wouldn't let him go when the sun was coming up. So he, text, he touched his inner thigh and his leg went out of joint. But that tenacity influenced God here. And continuing with this thought, Jacob passes the blessing down to his son, his son Joseph, and we find that account in Genesis 48, 14. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head. We'll get, that. We'll get to what I'm getting in a minute. Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and is left upon uh, Manasseh's head, guiding his hand wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and continuing in 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be upon them. So here we find Jacob's name, which was changed to Israel, being assigned to the sons of Joseph. And not only his name, but he goes on further to clarify exactly what he's talking about here. He continues, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. So there's no doubt he is bestowing on them the blessing of Abraham. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. The covenant made with Abraham was continued through Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And now I want to skip forward to the last place in the Bible where the term last days is used. Does anybody know, other than Aletha, the scripture where the term last days is first used? Anybody know? Without looking it up in your Bible or getting on your computer or something. No cheating. Anybody know? 
Hands, anybody? It's not in the New Testament. It's in Genesis 49. And he says, 49.1, And Japheth called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Not, not uh, uh, Jacob's grandsons or great-grandsons or merely three generations down. We're talking in the last days is what Genesis 49.1 is, is describing for us. And if we jump down to verses 22 through 26, it says, it's talking about Joseph and um, what is going to describe him in the last days. Joseph is a fuburo, a fuburo by a well. His branches run over the wall, a great population. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remains strong. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the beasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the uttermost utter bounds of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and the crown of his head of him who was separated from his brother. Plural brothers. <clears throat> and we can go back and differentiate the difference between Abraham's blessing that was bestowed upon the head of Joseph and subsequently his sons back to Genesis 49.10 and see what it says about Judah. Judah, today, is what most people call the Jews. 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Certainly that is fulfilled. A lawgiver, they have laws. They have written a lot of laws and laws and laws. And in Deuteronomy 2.25, it continues um, elaborating on God's purpose in Israel and what he's going to do through the promise of Abraham. Deuteronomy 2.25, This day will I begin to put the dread of you in the, and the fear of you upon the nations that are under the whole heaven who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And De continuing in Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, Behold, I have taught you statues and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. Keep, therefore, to do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. Part of God's objective here was to have Israel be a nation that was looked up to for their wisdom and for their understanding, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who has God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? 
And what nation is there so great that has statues and judgments so righteous as all this law which I have set before you this day? However, as we all know, God's plan for them didn't come about. The kingdom split in two after Solomon's reign, and you had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. There were ten nations with the kingdom of Israel and two nations in the kingdom of Judah. And both eventually turned away from God. The kingdom of Israel was invaded by Assyria and dispersed. And you can read that account. I'm not going to turn there. 2 Kings 17. And that happened about 721, if my memory is working correctly today. Judah was later rejected. They went through the Babylonian invasion. Seventy years later, they came back from captivity. And then they still went their own way. And in 70 AD, with the Roman invasion, after Jesus had died, the temple was destroyed and temple worship stopped. But everything is not lost. In Jeremiah 30, 1 through 3, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write a book, all the words that I've spoken unto you, for behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of the, my people. And I'm reading this in the uh, English Standard Version. When I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And when we go down to verse 10, same chapter, Therefore fear not, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, neither be this made, O Israel, for lo, I will save you from afar, and they seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and be in rest, and be quiet, none shall make him afraid. And this is referring to Jacob's time of trouble in which he will be saved out of. And it's repeated again in Jeremiah 31, 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scatters Israel will gather him and keep him, as a shepherd does his flock. And this is after the time of Jacob's trouble. And it is interesting because it says, declare in the isles afar off. Who's he talking about? The isles afar off. I mean, well, we got Crete. Got a few other islands there in the Mediterranean. Similar events are described in Isaiah. Isaiah wrote between 740 and 680, about 54 years after Jeremiah. And Israel says, in, I'm sorry, not Israel, Isaiah says a very interesting thing, very similar to what Jeremiah said. He starts out in Isaiah 49.1. Listen, O isles, there it is again, unto me and hearken, you people from afar, people from afar. I'm going to read this, and we're going to go back and tear this apart a little bit. This is a complicated scripture. 
The Lord called me from the womb, and from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of, of my name. Okay, there's so far two entities involved in this. There's the listener. The listener says, O Isles, listen, O Isles, unto me, and hearken, you people from afar. So there's two listeners, the Isles and the people from afar. And there's a speaker. He identifies himself as me. Listen, O Isles, unto me. Now, Isaiah wrote this. Okay? Isaiah wrote this. I'm going to skip over verse 2 to verse 3 because this gets even more complicated. Because me still isn't identified and neither are the isles or people from afar. And he said unto me, he is the Lord. And said he unto me, the speaker here doing the saying is the Lord. And you gather that out of uh, actually verse 1, the latter half of verse 1 where it says the Lord called me from the womb. And it goes on down through there and you follow. And it could read something, and the Lord said to me, now, the problem comes in because Isaiah says exactly what the Lord told him. And, hey, that's what you probably should do, right? Well, if you're the listeners, you're the listeners, I'm the messenger, I'm the me doing the talking. God says to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. He said that to me. So I turn around and I say to you, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Who's Israel? Because when God said it to me, he said you, which is me, and then when I say it to you, you is you. <laughs> so if you want to get yourself all tied up, go to Bollinger's, go to some companions, and go, and you can... You can get a, a lot of different opinions uh, on this little transition here. Bullinger, well, let's, let's go down and read um, verse 6 first. So he identified Israel. And then he says, It is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, and that, and that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. It seems to be a contradiction of terms because Israel is saving Israel. And that's what Bollinger's problem with it is. He says, how can Israel save Israel? Well, the term Israel can have many different applications. As we went through some of them, it could refer to Jacob, whose name was changed. It can refer to the ten nations after the split. It can refer to the entire twelve sons of Jacob. Or, since the name of Israel was given to Ephraim and Manasseh, it can refer to Ephraim and Manasseh. It can refer to spiritual Israel, the church.
There's an interesting thing that happened in 1917. 2nd of November, 1917. The Balfour Declaration was a letter from the United Kingdom's Foreign Secretary, Arthur Balfour, to Baron Rothschild, a leader of the British Jewish community, for the transmission of the Zionist Federation of Great Britain in Ireland. His Majesty government, with favor, the, which favored the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people, and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object it being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civilian and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights of political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. The text of the letter was published one week later, the 9th of November, 1917, and the Balfour Declaration was later incorporated into the peace treaty with the Ottoman Empire and the mandate for Palestine. That was in 1917. But we never got around to seeing it in, enacted until much later. And it was through the United Nations partition plan for Palestine, 29th of November, 1947, the UN General Assembly adopted a resolution recommending the adoption and implementation of the plan as Resolution 181. Following that, Israel declared independence. Israel's, the Israeli Declaration of Independence, formally, formally the, the Declaration of the Establishment of the State of Israel was proclaimed 14th of May 1948 by David Ben-Gurion, executive head of the of World Zionism Organization, and the chairman of the Jewish Agency for Palestine. It was in 1948, and I believe it was one day later, the Arabs went to war with Israel, and they lost that war. And so today, we have Israel established as a nation in the Middle East. Now, if I can find my right papers here. I got so many papers here, I'm losing myself. Okay, where's number six? The term Jew in our society is also a term that can be very, very misleading. Most of the time when we hear the word Jew, we think of religion. We don't think of nationalities. In the Bible, the word Jew is referring to nationality, what nation people are from. The religion of the Jews is Judaism. And that was the Jewish response to what God told them to do. It wasn't the religion that God gave them. It was their response to it. Hence, all the laws that were added.
And so, we know that the ancient kingdom of Israel was dispersed by Assyria. And when that happened, we also know that some of those people that lived in Israel migrated down south to the kingdom of Judah. That's verified in various scriptures. They spoke the same language and they followed the same religion. So if your country is being invaded by a foreigner, the obvious thing to do would be logical. Let's flee to our neighbor down south. The question, of course, is how many tribes are represented in the current Jewish state? And does that establishment of this, quote, Jewish state represent a fulfillment of prophecy? Not only for the Jews, but for those of any of the tribes. How many of the tribe of Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, or any of the other 12 were in Judah, uh, Judah when the Assyrians invaded Israel? And how many of them stayed with Judah? And how many of them have descendants that are today in the, quote, Jewish nation, Israel. I don't know. God knows. So the question is, has that prophecy been fulfilled with the establishment of the nation that is called Israel over there? Because, you, you see, when he mentions the term Old Isles, you don't hear this term too much anymore. But the Balfour Declaration came out of the United Kingdom, which was also known as the British Isles. Okay? And people are far off. So was that part of that establishment? It was those scriptures that we read. Were they part of the fulfillment? Part of, not entirely, part of. Going on in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah and will have a new beginning. A new beginning in the New Testament, the new covenant. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Thus is it, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. And I will continue this the next time I speak.